You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking again about estimates. And listen to this episode, you'll learn a lot about frameworks that can be quite helpful for you. So stay tuned and now some music. Estimants is also the topic of a course I created together with the famous statistician Kaspar Rufibach. It is not only about estimants, but also how you can roll out more effectively the estimant framework within your company, in your organization even in your, in your study teams. So check out this course that we have created together with Kaspar. Of course, you can find it like all the different courses on the Effective Statistician Academy. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading, promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of the Effective Statistician. And today I'm really happy to talk with Alberto about one of the most hot topics still, estimates. And especially here about something that is, uh, yeah, one of the main problems is treatment policy approaches and what happens when we don't have the data and what can we do there. And he and his co-authors just published a really nice paper about a framework that can help us accomplish lots of these different things in a very elegant way. So, but before we dive into the, the details, welcome Alberto on the show. For those who don't know you, maybe you can introduce yourself shortly. Hello, Alexander. This is really nice. I'm really happy to be here. In the episode, thank you for in the invitation. So I'm Alberto Garcia. I'm from Madrid, from Spain. Uh, I've been in the industry about 26. I started working in 1996 in a CRO. So in not 30 years, but still just only three years to have this 30 years anniversary. My experience is a pharma statistician experience. Eh? Initially in CROs, one small CRO in Spain and later in at PD in the UK. I lived in Cambridge. Then I moved to pharma. I worked in a biotech and, uh, in Spain. I worked in Astellas Pharma in the Netherlands. Uh, and at the moment, I'm working from home uh, in back in Madrid. I'm a consultant working for different clients, mainly doing what I do uh, to lead the statistics in clinical trials, phase two, phase three. That is my background. Just before we started with the recording, you mentioned you did a little bit of a break maybe also because of COVID and restructurings and things like this, and went on to do your PhD. 
Ah, yes. Uh, basically, uh, when I worked in Astella uh, in the Netherlands, uh, starting about 10 years ago, I started doing a bit of research, a, a few papers I published in different topics, risk-benefit topic mainly. And when Astella decided to basically move R&D to the US and Japan, I was a moment when I thought, okay, let's use that moment where after almost about 20 years working to have a bit of a break, to do a bit of research and at that moment, I decided to do the research within the scope of a PhD research. Eh? So I've been working now for about five years uh, with Professor Perez and Pardo in Madrid and also Professor Rizopoulos in Rotterdam, in Erasmus, mm -hmm. uh, uh, doing a research that is about missing data uh, in presence of intercurrent events. So it's fully focused on the estimates topic. Yeah, cool. Very good. I love that you were pursuing this. I think there's a lot of people that think about it, talk about it, but never do it. And I think it's a great an inspiration for maybe some of the people listening at the moment that say, should I do a PhD later in my career? Am I too old or whatever? Here you have someone that, yeah, at the moment finalizing it and uh, and went for it. Yeah, congratulations on that move. Thank you. I'm now 49, so it's true. It's never too late. And doing this at this age is maybe a bit hard because you have to combine it with family and work. But on the other hand, I think you can really do a research that you already, you will find useful in your work and more about what you are going to do the research on it. Eh? When you do the research, when you are 20, maybe it's just basically the professor at the university, they choose the topic for you. And maybe at the end, you might not even use it. I really enjoyed it. It was very interesting. And I learned a lot. And I think it was interesting. That is cool. Yeah. And missing data or estimates is also today our discussion. When we think about the treatment policy approach, so a, an approach where you want to understand the efficacy based on the decision that you make at the start of the treatment. Yeah. So you want to understand, okay, if you now start with treatment X as compared to treatment Y, what will be the outcome of it in 12 weeks, 24 weeks, two years, whatsoever? Yeah. That is the treatment policy approach. And now the more, more advanced part in this is, of course, how do you exactly define treatment X and treatment Y? So can you tell us a little bit more about what are the main challenges there that you face with the treatment policy approach? Okay, so this is a very good point and good question. And it's really interesting that if you look at the definition of treatment policy strategy, at the very first site is the easiest strategy because by definition, you have an intercurrent event that it depends on your setting, but maybe treatment discontinuation or maybe the use of rescue therapy. By definition, using a treatment policy strategy for that intercurrent event means that you just have to ignore it. You shouldn't exclude data because the data have been collected after that intercurrent event. So initially, it's super simple. You just ignore it and you just analyze your endpoint at the final visit, for example, visit 52. Okay, that is initially simple. However, the problem is that in some indications, 
in some trials, in the way they have been designed, the data, you can have a situation, two different situations or three different situations. The optimal situation, the data have been collected equally after that intercurrent event. So even for the subjects with treatment discontinuation, for example, let's focus on treatment yeah. discontinuation as an intercurrent event, but the same applies to other intercurrent events. So the option one, this, the data have been collected equally after treatment discontinuation. Equally means that the missingness is there, but the likelihood to be missing is the same. It's basically you keep collecting the data in the same way. You might lose some patients, but the intercurrent event is not changing totally the amount of data you have that you can use. In that case, it's super simple because you just ignore that event you do, and you apply a straightforward standard model. If you have a continuum, you use yeah. MMRM, period. Yeah. But then sometimes you have other situations. Let's go to a second, an extreme situation. Let's switch totally to the extreme situation. In some indications and in some protocols, once the treatment is discontinued, the subjects are not followed up anymore. Or at least the primary endpoint is not collected. Sometimes it's because maybe requires an invasive test because it's not the same if the primary endpoint is observed easily yeah. and you can go to the patient after the subject discontinued treatment is not happy with the trial, but you can still collect that information. But other like times... The, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and the subject discontinued treatment is not happy with the trial and they will... So if you have an extreme situation where you don't have data after treatment discontinuation, or let's go, you don't have data, or maybe very rarely we have a data point, but in essence, you don't have the data, you are in, in the situation that is the focus of the paper eh, that we will discuss today. In that situation, the treatment policy strategy is not simple, and basically, you will have to speculate, and it's a speculation, what has happened after the treatment discontinuation. Yeah. And there is yeah. a middle ground that is also problematic, that... You still have the data, but the amount of missingness after treatment discontinuation is higher than the missingness before. That is also problematic. In that case, you might want to try to model the data after treatment discontinuation, but a standard model will not capture that okay. differential yeah. missingness. And for this type of middle ground situations, I have seen papers using this dropout retrieval approach, where basically you try to model the data after treatment discontinuation differently, somehow differently. Of course, in that middle ground situation, the big question is, you have enough data to do that modeling effort? Because if at the end you have only a few data points, you may have an issue. So you have these three possible situations. The paper we will discuss later is focused on the second option, where when you have no data or hardly data and you will have to speculate. And normally, one way to speculate what has happened is using the reference-based imputation, delta adjustment. So basically, all of them are just ways to speculate. There's another case in which you can easily come up with this missingness. Yeah? Imagine you have a treatment discontinuation and you then start with another treatment to further continue to collect the data. And now the stakeholders that you work with is not interested on this, you know, what happens with this kind of strategy if you first start with that and then to discontinue, you go over to the second 
treatments that you used in your study, but they say, in our country, we switched to a different treatment and that you haven't observed. Yeah. So you have data, but you have it under the wrong treatment. Yeah. Whereas in your study, you have start with X, and if that doesn't work, go to Y. This stakeholder says, start with X, and if that doesn't work, go to Z. So although you have for treatment X and then go to Y, you have the data, you don't have it for X, go to Z. So the data situation is completely the same, just because you have your treatment policy. Yeah? So the treatment policy that you're really interested in is not for that you have missing data. Even though you have data, it's basically missing. Yeah. So that is yet another situation where that can easily happen. And that's just very often the case in HDA analysis. Yeah. Where, for example, for you have a an control arm and once they are people discontinue from the control arm, they go over to the experimental arm. In real life, that will never happen. Yeah. So in real life, these the HDA person will be, oh, if that w- doesn't work on the control arm, then it should go to another control, not to your new drug. Yeah. So you have you are missing there the kind of still there the data. So that is very interesting situation. And formally speaking on the framework, we have seen that after this guideline uh, in Europe, for example, some CHMP points to consider guidelines on different diseases, diabetes, uh, Alzheimer, others have been updated and they use the update to include one paragraph on estimates. And a common trend is the following. For treatment discontinuation, uh, use treatment policy. So basically, you ignore the fact that the subject is not on treatment and you use the data after. Mm-hmm. Okay. But also for rescue therapy and this type of therapies you mentioned, the recommendation is often to use hypothetical. Hypothetical means don't use the data after that event because you want to estimate hypothetical world where the, that other medication is let's call it rescue medication not has not been issued. So at the end, you end up in the same situation covered by this paper because the data you do have after treatment discontinuation is often not usable because has been collected after those medications. It's very good point. Very good yeah. point. Yeah. So the strategy you use for that for those others for those other medications is going to be important because we will you can end up in the same issue, the same lack of data. Good yeah. point. Okay, there are a couple of existing current approaches for treatment policy. What are your main critique points around this? Okay, so could you repeat that? I think you make a really nice summary in your paper where you speak about all the benefits of your new approach compared to all the other existing approaches. Ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, and you say your new approach can do all kind of different things that previous previous approaches can't do. So there's the section 4.3 in your papers that I'm already per- Yeah, let, let me explain to. this because it's not it's interesting but I'm not sure if I, uh, we are all on the same page on, on the tools we already have in the literature eh? even before that paper we already mentioned here the focus is to use treatment policy a strategy 
for treatment discontinuation, but we don't have the data. Or as you mentioned, the data that we have might not be data we can use. Eh? At the end, mm -hmm. it's the same. And uh, we will have to speculate. We will have, to be honest, we will have to invent. Uh, or to, yeah. And normally, of course, that speculation should be conservative. Eh? Uh, what we have, in, what options we have eh? to use reference-based imputation that basically you assume that for the experimental group after team discontinuation, in average, the subjects will behave like the control group, the reference group average, in average. Okay. Another yeah. option. Yeah. Go ahead. And so that would be after treatment and discontinuation to basically assume they directly behave like the patients under reference. Yeah. Basically, the treatment effect after treatment discontinuation is zero. So there is a treatment effect only on treatment, and after treatment discontinuation is zero. There is a, another option is the copy increment from reference when you assume that they already achieved treatment effect at that time point mm -hmm. is maintained, or you can maybe apply sort of delta adjustment, but basically you add or take a delta value, a bit of effect size, and you can increase the effect size for placebo. At, the crisis, at the end, you have to fix those delta values? In terms of the delta, so you basically see, assume that over time, the treatment effect shrinks. Yeah. So instead of that, it says, you can assume that it's maintained, that it goes directly to zero, or that it continuously shrinks. Yeah. Normally, you will use a negative delta for your experimental. So you will assume that the, yeah, the, effect, the mean value for the experimental group after treatment discontinuation you will discount an amount and you can repeat that for different amounts and then you end up doing the CP point analysis and you can put that in a plot. Yeah. Okay. But all this is not new. So basically, let's go now to the question, your question. Uh, how you can implement that? That is not new. We have been doing that for many years. Uh, sometimes maybe it was only a sensitivity analysis, but as, as you might know, the most frequent tool to implement reference-based imputation and it's at least what I, I used to apply in my times in, in different companies, is the Carpenter-Roger-Kenguard uh, algorithm. Basically, you use multiple imputation framework. Multiple imputation framework is something... So basically, uh, you first use multiple imputation model, uh, you, an imputation model to impute your data, but you will not impute the data using your data-driven model. So your data-driven model is going to be alter change to implement the jump to reference. So for example, the estimated mean for placebo is the one you are going to use for the experimental group for, for the imputations. And after imputing the data and in multiple imputations, you have to impute the data many times. You apply maybe a simple ANCOVA model per imputation. And after that, you, will, you obtain an effect size per imputation and you pull all this with Rubin's equation. Eh? It's an equation that in SAS you apply when you use a procedure called PROC-M analyze. Uh, but I mean, that the whole process of doing that using multiple imputation, it requires a lot of steps. Eh? I've I experienced in the implementation of this in real practice when basically uh, the programming group say, okay, we need to create Adam datasets for each of these yeah. thousands imputed datasets. To be honest, there is an increase in the budget. At the end, it's costly, it's, it's more, it's possible, but it's a lot of steps. Yeah, and then, also saving all these kind of different things. And <laughs> imagine you are doing this not just for one analysis, but for many analysis. Yeah, imagine or, that. 
you, you need to update it and, and things like that. I'm just thinking about certain analysis that are sometimes requested by the German HDA body, yeah, where you need to do these kind of things then in many different subgroups across many different endpoints across different populations and so on. Yeah. Many may say, well, computation time is not a problem anymore. In these cases, it is still a problem. Yeah. And of course, just with rerunning things and having different seats and whatsoever, it becomes sometimes really difficult to exactly replicate things. Okay. So then the question is, what is the alternative? In this field of reference-based imputation, there are already two, uh, two extremes, eh? two, two lines of research. The ones based on multiple imputation, and is, I think what people tend to use is, and for multiple imputation approach, there are a number of packages and macros and software. But it's not, this paper is not the first one that is proposing a fully analytical solution. Eh? In the paper, I mentioned this work from Lu, from Tang, and, and also from Liu and Pang. These papers, I have to be honest, I think they are not that well known, but those other papers, they propose fully analytical solutions. So basically, you replace your MRM model by another uh, fully analytical model that without uh, straight away gives you the parameter estimates for your problem using JAM uh, to reference, for example. And these solutions mm -hmm. are much faster and very fast. So mm -hmm. basically, uh, if not, you ask me to compare the approach uh, of this new paper, I can do this comparison in two ways. I can compare it and do, I do it in the paper against the multiple imputation approach that is what most people are using out there and i also com can compare it against the previous analytical solutions and i think is that is what you mentioned before eh? uh, in that section where i mentioned that with regard to the previous analytical solutions the papers i just mentioned before uh, the new framework allows to implement any rule the new framework is actually more compatible aligned with the estimate framework I, the other papers I just mentioned before are quite old, eh? so they were actually published before the estimates uh, yep. framework. And those papers, basically what they did is to adjust, basically those papers and my new framework, is they are doing initially the same thing. Basically what we are doing, we use only data up to the treatment discontinuation and we obtain an effect size. What is that? That is the effect size using the hypothetical strategy. That is by nature what you do if, if you censor after this continuation. In this case, you don't need to censor because you don't have the data. Unless you have the situation you mentioned before where you have data you are not supposed to use, then you censor. Yeah. That gives you an effect size. But it's what in the paper I call the effect size for process Y, not for the process of interest that I call set, that is the treatment policy. Mm -hmm. And that effect size with a standard error basically has to be adjusted. Basically, to, to you jump to reference, basically you multiply that effect size uh, times the probability of not having an intercurrent event at that time in the experimental group. The slight difference is that previous works, they used the multinomial for that second probability for that adjustment. Okay. I'm, fu I'm using fully survival methods, so I can handle better censoring, I can handle be better other situations. In essence, my paper is a continuation of the line of research that I mentioned before, analytical solutions, but it's a bit of an extension and a bit of an improvement to handle better competing intercurrent events or censoring. Okay, awesome. 
That is really nice. So basically, you can, with this framework, do all the kind of different treatment policy approaches that you can think of, yeah, and directly run it and come with analytical approaches to it and can basically write down, okay, this will happen if we have jump to reference. This is what we assume that you have some kind of maintenance of effect. And this is what happens if you assume some kind of gradual decrease in the effect size over time. And you can basically wire the tipping point analysis say, okay, if it's a delta is that big, then, then the treatment effect goes away. Or maybe it, it is so big that it even then doesn't go away. So that's the other. On this point, is, I just let me remark one thing. Um, let's now compare analytical solutions, including the new solution I propose and the previous ones with multiple imputation. They are much faster. Is For example, and that is very interesting if you want to imp implement delta adjustment and tipping point analysis. Because in tipping point analysis, you need to repeat the delta methodology mm -hmm. maybe i don't know maybe 100 times to plot a, a nice curve yeah if yeah. you look at the simulations we did in average the multiple imputation approach to implement one single model of this delta will require about half minute it's not a lot but the analytical solution requires like seconds yeah. not even uh, so basically with an analytical approach you will have a full tipping point analysis very fast and with an, a multiple imputation you will face this extra complication of requiring Adam data set with thousands of records, but also you will need more time. The other point where that comes really handy is uh, imagine you have some kind of interactive exploratory tool, yeah? and you are looking into your data basically on the fly together with a team. If, if it takes half a minute or a minute to run in the background, that really has a negative effect on the communication about it. But if it refreshes within seconds, then you can get much faster and easier work with these. Well, that is a very interesting possibility because actually uh, this analytical approach, what it's doing is that in the first part, you are analyzing uh, your longitudinal data only with data of up to the treatment discontinuation, and that gives you the treatment effect using the hypothetical strategy and that amount is already calculated that you can include that amount in your interactive software is mm -hmm. there so you don't need more time because it's already filling in there and other amounts that you need to obtain from the time to treatment discontinuation basically the survival you also can obtain them and at the end all the est estimates for the treatment policy strategy are just post-processing combination of these amounts. Eh? It's something that you can see in the paper, in table three, at the end, all these esti estimates are just a post-processing combination of the estimates from your MRM model that you can have, you fit once at the beginning, and your survival probability for the intercurrent event. So you can totally do that. Eh? You can totally, that possibility, eh? to have an interactive tool that, Based on the spec, let's remember eh? everything you do at the end is a speculation. You don't yeah. know what happens after team discontinuation. Let's play with that speculation, and uh, the possible speculation of that situation will give you a different effect size. As, that, as you can imagine, it depends a lot on how many subjects they have to be discontinuation. Eh? If you have a study where only a few subjects have this situation, at the end, 
all these will this is uh, imputation methods they will all, all of them give you more or less the same result because most of your estimate is based on the treatment part on the on treatment data part yeah. if you have many patients with treatment discontinuation the speculation speculative part will be more important and each method will give you a very different effect size yeah yeah and it would be bad if your framework doesn't reflect that awesome so now as a listener i would think like okay what's next how can people implement it do you help people with anything do you have any kind of scripts or whatever available yeah in the actually in the journal in the supplementary materials we have a sas script i think it's in sas it's possible to implement but i think if you read the people read the paper and they have the time to really for the logic of this paper some of uh, of these estimates or the, basically the estimator i build to for example for jump to reference for example using this framework imagine you have a trial and you just want to you don't collect the data after treatment discontinuation and maybe it's a supplementary analysis or to less report treatment policy for this trial in an easy way basically you take your effect size that at that visit that you already the estimator in the paper for jump to reference you take the effect size the treatment difference using the hypothetical strategy that is what i call beta j2 visit j beta 2 because it is the effect size and that amount that we all know how to be to estimate you multiply that uh, times the survival at that moment is the moment for the visit you want to estimate of not is the survival of basically the probability of not having suffered treatment discontinuation in the experimental group at that moment. And that is something that others could even obtain using, I don't know, even non-parametric methods. I'm using flexible parametric methods because they are handy to later build standard errors. But yeah. at the end, it's, it's, it's the multiplication of, of two amounts that we all know how to obtain. Of okay. course, I went to the uh, the simplest uh, one, jump to reference. For others, the equation is more complex. But at the end, the question is always based on your estimates for the hypothetical strategy and the survivals of the probabilities uh, of treatment discontinuation. Of course, some of these possibilities uh, or speculations, they will require more complex equations. But I think that if others want to use this method, uh, they don't have to really use the SAS code. It's not that that simple. Eh? Yeah, okay. So have a look into this, and if you find a really nice solution, yeah, maybe if you do something in R or something like this, let us know so that we can link to your work in the show notes. And of course, in the show notes, you will find a link to the paper, find a link to Berto on his LinkedIn profile, and see what's all out there. Thanks so much, Alberto, for this really good discussion about the treatment policy, where we talked about a couple of different limitations that are currently out there. We talked about reference-based imputation. We talked about how you can use the delta adjustment to model kind of different scenarios, how that links together with tipping point and analysis. And all of these are really, really helpful. However, it always starts with understanding what actually is the research questions that you have. What exactly is treatment? What exactly is reference? What exactly do you want to assume and understand? 
And I think that is still a discussion that we need to have much more as statisticians, non-statisticians especially, and to continue to work on this. By the way, one remark is, as we are recording this on the 7th of February in 2023, there's a really nice incident. On the 8th of February 2023 is the wonderful Wednesday webinar, and there we are talking about how you can visualize all these kind of different things that we just talked about. And so by the time this goes, comes out, probably you already have some kind of some recording available for this webinar. If you don't know about the Data Visualization Special Interest Group and what they are all doing, check out also the links here. Go to psi.org where you can find the Visualization Special Interest Groups under SIG, Special Interest Groups. It's the last one because it starts with a V. And check out all the different work that is there. It's definitely helpful for this and it's definitely helpful for many other things. Alberto, any kind of final thoughts for those who are reading your paper? No, to be honest, I think we covered most of the interesting parts. There are some other interesting facts in the paper, a bit too technical. To just summarize briefly, I just want to thank you eh, for inviting me. Very interesting discussion. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much. Have a nice time and listen to the podcast again next week. to check out the Estaman course together with Kaspar Hofibach on the Effective Statistician Academy. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and her team at VVS for her positions background and thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.